Now there's 12 tribes of Israel. All of them receive an inheritance in the land of Canaan, the promised land, besides the Levites. And, and, and you, would, you would suppose that that would be somewhat of a negative thing. It is, especially when you just read these few verses. You don't, you don't really understand the full breadth of what God has for them. But God looks at them and says, you are the only one who cannot have an inheritance. That's pretty tough. Sometimes it's easier focusing on the things that God has not given us than it is to realize what He already has given us. And in most cases, God has been so good to us, but it would be very easy only to read these just uh, few verses and see why it would be easy for the Levites to be disappointed with their inheritance. They don't have land. They don't have a way to provide for themselves. God says, the only thing you have is me. You know what? If all you have is God, you have more than enough. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the great opportunity you've given me to stand to preach tonight. I pray, Lord, that you would help me, that you would empower me and strengthen me. I ask, Lord, in Jesus' precious name, amen. Now, the book of Joshua, specifically starting at Joshua chapter 13, it's when God allows Joshua to begin dividing the portions of the promised land to the children of Israel. From chapter 13 to about chapter 21, we find the book of Joshua reads like a map that is dictated as, uh, as, as God uses Joshua to divide the land. And Joshua would say things like, uh, you shall have, or, or Moses would say things like, you shall have this portion of the land to this portion of the land and this portion of land to this river border. And, and we find the land is being spread abroad throughout the nation of Israel, and they're finding out what their inheritance is to be. Verse number 7 of Joshua chapter 13, the Bible says, Now therefore divide this land for an inheritance unto the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh, with whom the Reubenites and Gadites have received their inheritance, which Moses gave them beyond Jordan eastward, even as Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. So we find... Joshua dividing the land to the tribes of Israel. And early on in chapter 13, in fact it's verse 33, we find this phrase once again repeated to us. But unto the tribe of Levi, Moses gave not any inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance, as he said unto them. Now, what this would be like is it would kind of be like having your children all excited for Christmas. You have two children, maybe. In this case, there's 12. And it would be like you having Christmas morning and all the kids waking up early to, to rush out to see what Santa Claus brought them. And, and for the purpose of the illustration, you have 12 children. And, and these 12 children come rushing down the stairs and, and they say, I wonder what Santa brought us. And, and here's your first child, your oldest child arriving on scene. And he looks at all that Santa Claus brought him. And boy, he's excited. Going down down the line, you got child number two, and he's excited, and three, he's excited, and four, he's excited, and five, he's excited. But you come to Levi, and Levi looks at his portion of the couch, 
where his presents are to be laid, right in between his other brothers. Here's Levi, and Levi has nothing. There are no Christmas gifts for Levi. And Levi, shocked and saddened, looks at you and says, Why do I not have any Christmas presents? And you say to him, Well, you were my child. I thought that was enough. I figured that you didn't need it because you already had me. And while his brothers are ravaging their presents to open them and find out what they've got, Levi just sits there without anything. And Levi is disappointed. Many times that's kind of how we picture life without God's blessings and provision. We, we, we kind of sometimes go through dry times in our life and we say, God, it's almost like I don't see anything on the couch. Like there's nothing there for me. If, you're anything, if your children are anything like my children, it was funny this year to watch Bailey. Bailey would open her presents she would uh, get to her next present, open it, get to her next present, open it. And when she was out of presence, you know what she did? She went to Thomas's presence and started opening them. And really, that's what we want. We want a never-ending supply. When, when we do not feel content anymore, we want the next blessing. But God looks at us and says, but you have me. And that's all you need. I want to preach to you tonight a sermon entitled, Being Satisfied with Your Portion. Sometimes it's easy for us to grow discontent, specifically and especially in this culture that we live in. But God is asking Christians tonight to be satisfied with their portion. Far too often... It is easier to focus on what God has not given us than it is to focus on what He has given us. So I want to share with you just a few points tonight, a few thoughts about the provision of the Levites, and I find that there's a lot of similarities between our provision and God. Number one, their portion included God's provision. Their portion included God's provision. Notice in verse number 12 of Numbers chapter 18, this entire chapter is in regards to the Levites and their service at the tabernacle. And verse number 8 begins and says, And the Lord spake unto Aaron, Behold, I have given thee the charge of mine heave offerings and the hallowed things of the children of Israel. Unto thee I have given them by reason of the anointing and to thy sons by an ordinance forever. This shall be thine of the most holy things, reserved from the fire. Every oblation of theirs, every meat offering of theirs, and every sin offering of theirs, and every trespass offering of theirs, which they shall render unto me, shall be most holy or set apart for thee and for thy sons. In the most holy place shalt thou eat it. Every male shall eat it. It shall be holy unto thee. And at this time, and this is thine, the heave offering of their gift. And with all the wave offerings of the children of Israel, I have given them unto thee and to thy sons and to thy daughters with thee by a statute forever. Everyone that is clean in thine house shall eat of it. All the best of the oil and all the best of the wine and of the wheat and the first fruits of them, which they shall offer unto the Lord 
them I have given thee. Now you read those few verses that we read, those verses 20 through 24, and you find God says, you have no inheritance with the children of Israel. But it wasn't like God was just abandoning them either. He wasn't just telling them to figure out life on their own. In fact, his plan was this. Their life was to be lived every day in complete reliance on him. You know what we might call that? Faith. He says, I have a plan by which I will give you your daily provision. You're not to work for it. You're not to labor for it. You're to serve in my house. And I will provide for you everything that you need there. Well, that's a good deal. In fact, the Bible tells us they got the best of everything. You know what people brought to God to offer to him? Well, when the nation of Israel was right with God, they were bringing the very best that they had. They would bring the very best cattle. They would bring the very best sheep and and lambs. They they would bring the very best uh, seed. They would bring the very best everything that they had. And everything that they were to give was to be the best 10%. Not just the first 10%, but the best 10%. And God says, not only will I accept that as an offering, but I will allow that to be your daily provision. You see, serving God always works out good for the children of God. And it did so for the Levites. The Bible doesn't change much for the New Testament Christian, though. Oh, we have more in America than probably any other civilization ever. But if anything, that's only ruined us. God still wants us to live a daily life that has faith in his provision for tomorrow. We like to invest. We like to feel secure in things. But God says, take no thought for the morrow. God says, if we should take thought for the things that we eat or what we drink or wherewith shall we be clothed. He says, after these things do the Gentiles seek. A child of wrath, a child of evil, someone that doesn't know me has to wonder what tomorrow is going to bring. But you're my child. And he says, but seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things shall be added unto you. He says, take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. God's plan for the New Testament believer is that we would trust in His provision for tomorrow. The verses I read you just now out of Matthew chapter number 6 are not necessarily about faulty pursuits. And what I mean by that is it's not necessarily wrong to pursue clothing or to pursue food or or to preserve uh, uh, pursue uh, what you're going to drink. Those aren't faulty pursuits and that's not what the Bible is teaching It's not focusing on faulty pursuits. It is focusing on Christians having a faith perspective. We ought not wonder how we're going to supply tomorrow's food, water, and clothes. We ought to just trust that God can. I wonder if maybe tonight we came to the altar, we bowed a knee, and we fell under deep conviction. And we knew that God was telling us that he wanted us to empty our bank accounts today. If he were to tell us that tomorrow we were to enter with a zero balance and to trust him for the results. I began to think about that question and I realized how challenging that would be to my faith. 
See, all of us to some degree take security in the numbers that are on that bank statement. And God says when we start relying on those numbers more than we do Him, we're in error. You say, Brother Andrew, God would never ask that of any person. You know what He told the rich young ruler? Sell all that you have. You know why I said that? It wasn't that it was necessary for salvation, but it was that he trusted in his riches more than he would ever trust in God. In America, in a land that is fat with success, you know, like Trump says, you're going to win more than you ever thought you would. You know? You're going to win so much you're going to get sick of it. I don't know so, but, but let's just say we did. And man, God has allowed us to see a lot of victories, Right? I tell you what, I think it's kind of ruined us. I think if we were to enter tomorrow with a zero balance in our checking account, we wouldn't know what to do. And we would know nothing about truly trusting God to provide for tomorrow. The portion of the Levite was that they would have someone come in and offer an offering. If nobody came to offer an offering, guess what? The Levites went hungry. If nobody came to the tabernacle to to worship, the Levites did without. They were 100% in every way reliant on God's provision. We reject God's provision when it doesn't match our preferences. Usually we do not want provision. More often than not, we expect pampering. We're not okay with provision. We want excess. And if we're not excessing, we're not successful. That's the American dream, right? Have more than your neighbor. God says, man, if your neighbor asks of you something, you give it to him. God's math works a whole lot different than us because oftentimes God adds to us when we subtract from us. The portion of the Levites... It's actually quite a blessed life. They were able to trust in God, and because of that, their faith was exercised. God only has one answer for every Christian in every circumstance, and it is this. Trust me. It really doesn't matter if it's financial. It doesn't really matter if it's domestic. It doesn't really matter if it's occupational. Whatever plight you face tonight, God has the same answer for you that He does for me, and it is this. Just Trust me. And the portion of the Levites was one of a daily provision. I want you to see the second thought on the portion of the Levites that quite actually matches ours is this. Their, Their portion included purpose. Notice in verse number six, the Bible says, And I, behold, I have taken your brethren the Levites, from among the children of Israel. I've set them apart. I have called them to do something for me. To you, the rest of the tribes of the nation of Israel, they are given as a gift for the Lord to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation. What was their purpose? Well, number one, their purpose was to have an influence on others. God looks at the rest of the nation and says, I have given them as a gift to you. You can go live your life, you can can work your jobs and all that, but when you come to God's house, it's going to be ready for you. 
When you come to present your offering, there will be someone there to accept that offering. God's house will always be taken care of according to God's plan. And it was, their, it was God's gift to the nation of Israel that they would be there ready to worship. You say, Brother Andrew, well, how can I have an influence on someone else if I've given all my money away? You know, it's funny you should ask, because there's a story in Acts chapter 3. Many of you might recall it. Peter and John walk into the temple, and there's a man there at the beautiful gate... And everybody knows who he is because every day he's has, has, he's, someone has to bring him and lay him there because he's lame. And, and, and he asks them alms. And, and you know, Peter and John are probably like a lot of us and they didn't have a whole lot of cash. And yet they look at him and they say these words, silver and gold have I none. Boy, that sounds like the average Joshua Baptist church member, Amen. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the Bible says immediately his feet and ankle bones receive strength. Say, Brother Andrew, if God wants me to have an influence on somebody, don't you think that he would make me affluent so that I could do it? No, God doesn't need some filthy lucre to help somebody know him. God can use us even in the most precarious of situations. And we find that an influence on others is God's expectation of the Christian. We ought to be influencing those that are around us. The Levites were there ready to worship to have an influence for the Lord in Israel. So too should we be. Today I spent some time thinking of all the men that have had an influence on me in this church. Man, there have been some great men that have been a part of this church. I'm talking about the best kind of men. I remember a guy by the name of Joe Jones, an older fella. He was a, a, I remember exactly where he lived, right off 174 as you head into Cleburne, there to the right, you go over the little creek, there's the bridge, there him and his wife lived. I remember he was a great man. I don't remember all that much about him. I've heard some funny stories about him and my dad, but I know what? He was one of the men that built this church. I don't know all the men, but I know a man by the name of Jesse Burney who who gave sacrificially to this church. He, He gave of his time and his resources in the building down south. The gymnasium is named after him, the J.L. Burney Fellowship Hall. You see, it's great men like that that had an influence on me. And I may not have even known them personally, but without men like that, there is no church today. God just seemed to raise them up and they were willing to take the burden and the blessing of being an influence on others. I remember spending time with men like Jerry Cook. Ain't a man better in this world than that guy. Love that man. Had an influence on me, both as a man and as a spiritual man. I'm thankful for his influence on my life. I went the other day and just sat down in his house and I looked him right in the eye and said, Brother Jerry, I respect you deeply. Good man. I remember men like Jerry Cornegay. Men that aren't even able to be with us tonight. And even if they were able to be with us, I'm not even sure if they'd really be with us. The best men. Men like that that took it upon themselves to have an influence in this church and on me. Men like 
Harold Pickett. I can't say that much about him, but he's definitely influenced me. Faithful men. Men like Jim Zorns. See, I didn't have friends my age growing up. I had friends like Jim. Older than me, but we were friends. Friends like Brian Cohn. Go and visit with him every Saturday in that Ford pickup. Man, I tell you what, had a bottle of Coke and a Dr. Pepper, and we'd go around visiting every bus kid we could find. You know what that is? That's just men willing to be an influence. And the Christian that is not willing to be an influence for God has not been influenced by God. If we're going to make a difference in people's lives, we've got to understand we've got to be around people. I heard this a long time ago and I agree with it. Shepherds tend to smell dirty, uh, not dirty, shepherds tend to smell like sheep. Amen. If you want to have an impact, you've got to be an influence. And God looks at the nation of, uh, of, of the Levites and he says, I have given y'all as a gift to everyone around you. But notice in verse number seven, not only as an influence on others, but God says, I also have an investment in you. Verse number seven. Therefore thou, speaking now to Aaron, thou and thy sons with thee shall keep your priest's office for everything of the altar and within the veil, and ye shall serve. I have given your priest's office unto you as a service of gift. Now, what we find here is God using the same terminology to describe two different blessings given. He says, not only do I want you to be a blessing on those around you, but I want to be a blessing to you in the ministry that you're serving in. I want you to take up the mantle of the priestly office and I want you to serve me and I will be a blessing to you in that office. It is an honor that we get to serve our God. Even the gods that I know about that people have uh, come up with and surmised and written false manuscripts about, even those gods, men's concept of God is not as good as the God that I serve. Oh, if you want to go serve a God like Allah whose best reward is a bunch of virgins, you go right ahead and do that. I think I'll live with my God. I don't want some perverted God to be my God. I have a God who loved me enough that he himself took on the form of man and he came to this earth to be rejected and denied and hung on a cross. That's the kind of God that I want to serve. It is an honor that we get to serve the God that we serve. He is a king and we ought to serve him and treat him as one. There's a story in the Bible about David who one day was in battle with the Philistines and actually Bethlehem at this time had been taken captive by the Philistines. And it's amazing, he, he just, I don't know whether he was just kind of saying this out loud and I don't know what, what he was actually trying to do, but he says, oh, that I would have a drink from the pool that is in Bethlehem. And listen to me, those three mighty men, but don't ever misunderstand this, unnamed men. Those three mighty men take it upon themselves to go into Bethlehem across enemy lines to get the drink from the well, retrieve it and bring it to David. 
It was such an honor to them to serve their king, they were willing to risk life and limb to do so. See, what we, we don't want a king to serve, we want to be king. We don't want to live by someone else's mandates, we want to be our own master. But I tell you what, I make a terrible master. And reality is you do too. God is a king that is worthy of any time spent, any money spent, any investment spent. And God looks at us and says, not only am I going to make you a blessing to others, but I am going to bless you in the ministry that you serve in because I'm going to give you a reason to live. Could you imagine being someone on this earth with a secular and humanist viewpoint? Let me break it down for you, okay? You were born a complete accident. You are a blip on the microcosmic radar. You're a freak of nature. You will live on this earth maybe 70 years if you're lucky. And no matter what you do, this is what your life will end as nothing. I told someone the other day, you could cure cancer, and when you die as a humanist without God, your life means nothing. You're given 70 years to do what you do, and then at the end of it, there is nothing else. Kind of a sad existence. And yet, my God gives me purpose to live. An eternal purpose. One that does not end in a period, but one that ends in an exclamation point. My life is not defined by the dash between the numbers on my gravestone. My life is defined by a God that loved me enough to give me eternal life. Boy, if I've ever heard of abundant life, that's it. God gives us purpose, and that was part of the Levite's portion. I want you to see number three as we move quickly. Their portion not only concluded their daily provision, their portion not only included purpose for living, but number three, their portion included God's presence. Now, if you missed this, you missed the entire sermon. If you read over this verse and you you do not get what God is saying, we have mistaken, mistakenly opened scripture tonight. Verse number 20. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, Thou shalt have no inheritance in their land, neither shalt thou have any part among them. So far, that's kind of a bummer verse. But then God says, I am thy part. You know what? The other, na- the other tribes didn't get that. God says, I am thy part. I have set you apart and I will show you a part of myself that nobody else will have access to. I am thy part and I am thine inheritance among the children of Israel. It was an inheritance not of land, but it was an inheritance of the Lord. They had special privilege in being a servant of God that no other tribe had the opportunity to say that they were. The New Testament believer, his life ought to be defined as such a pursuit of God. We ought to every day pursue God with everything that we are. 
If you study the apostle's life, the apostle Paul's life, you kind of wonder what made him tick? What made him go? He seemed almost non-human at times, didn't he? Always going, always serving. And then he begins to describe all the peril that befell him while he was on this earth. And it's almost like, are you serious, Paul? Are you just trying to make us feel bad? How are you so awesome at this Christianity thing? And yet when you study Paul's reason for doing everything, you know what he says his reasons are? His reason is, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He once again echoes the same thought in Philippians chapter 3 verse 7 when he says, But what things were gained to me I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. You skip down three more verses in verse number 10. The Bible says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You want to know what drove the apostle Paul? It was the daily presence of Christ abiding in his life. And every day was a pursuit to know God even more than he did yesterday. Christian, the Christianity that we have and that we live around today, it's so anti-biblical. Christians that just choose to ignore Scripture. Christians that Bibles stay on bedsides. Christians that don't pick up their Bible any other day but the days they go to church. That is so anti-biblical. How do you live without the Word of God being your source? And yet we find the Levites, their daily pursuit was to be God. And God says, I will be your provision. We find in the New Testament, Paul saying, every day I lived my life for the sole purpose of knowing Jesus Christ more than I ever have before. Let me ask you something. What is the reason you wake up and live your life tomorrow? If it's to go to work, man, what a sad existence. If it's to be a good mother or a father, or grandmother. It's an admirable cause, but it is not a cause that is eternal. Unless you're doing it for God. What is the reason that we ought to take great encouragement from our portion? And it is this, that God will live with you in your life tomorrow. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's with you no matter what you face. This last week, me and Charlie, we were out at the ranch. Uh, it, it was kind of a unique thing, but we found ourselves where there were no lights around us. And I don't know if y'all have ever spent any time in the country, but on a clear night, you can see more stars than you ever dreamed existed. In fact, me and Charlie just found ourselves looking up at the sky. And, and I know it sounds kind of corny, but I was just amazed. And we began to quote scripture at one another. And we, we just said things like, 
Man, the heavens declare the handiwork of God. And Charlie said, you know what's crazy? I said, what's that? Charlie said, this is within his span. That's what the scripture says. The heavens are within his span. That's how big your God is. I, I told Charlie, I said, Charlie, I don't think I've, you know, in pictures of space, you can see like the dust between the stars. And I'm not sure what that is. I'm no sciencey guy, but... But I told Charlie, I said, I think this is the first time in my entire life I've ever actually seen the dust in between stars. We could see star after star after star. It actually hurt to try to see all the stars because there were so many. And yet God gave me this thought as I was sitting there talking to Charlie. I said, this kind of makes you feel small, doesn't it, Charlie? It kind of makes me feel like this little piece of ground that I'm taking up right now is kind of insignificant in all this. It's amazing that God loves us. And then I said to Charlie, you know what it kind of reminds me of? It's kind of like going to the Library of Congress. And you walk into the library in there, and maybe you don't know this, but there's over 22 million books in the Library of Congress. I said, it's like going into the Library of Congress and going to that librarian and saying, hey, what is your favorite thing in this library? And then that librarian taking you and saying, okay, I'm excited to show you this. And then that librarian escorting you to some back hallway, some private entrance that you didn't even know existed, took you to the top shelf, had to climb the ladder, and then slide on the ladder over to the book that she was trying to find. And she pulls down this this dusty old book, and she kind of dusts it off when she hands it to you. And you say, is this your favorite thing in the library? And she says, no. Open to page 74. So you open the book. There you go flipping. Now remember, this is one out of 22 million books plus. Open the page there to 74. And, and she looks at that book and, she sa- and you see that page and you say, is this your favorite page? She says, no. Look down about three paragraphs. You say, oh, I see that sentence there. Yeah, that's, a, yeah, that's, that's good. Is, is this your favorite sentence? And she says, no. She says, look at the very end of that. You say, what, the, the, the period? And she says, yeah, that's my favorite thing in this entire library. That one little period. You know, I don't think it's completely accurate, but I'd say it sure helped me understand how small and insignificant I am in this grand scheme, and yet that the librarian, <laughs> the Lord, loves me like that librarian loves that one little period. You know, I am his favorite thing in this universe. It just so happens he has a lot of favorites because you're one of them too. But that gives me purpose. That his presence is with me tomorrow. That his provision is with me tomorrow. I don't know about you, but that encourages me to wake up and face tomorrow. But you read all this. In Numbers chapter 18, and you see that their portion was God's daily provision. You see that their portion was purpose for living. And you also see that their uh, their portion included God's presence for tomorrow. And all that's good. But if you'll take your Bible to Ezekiel chapter 44, I want to quickly share with you that there were some requirements placed upon 
the Levites. See, God had a plan for making them who they were. God didn't just want them to live in this lush lifestyle where every day they got brought the best of the best, that they were taken care of, that that they were lavishly provided for. That wasn't God's plan for them. God had a specific plan. And if you will, it's the prescription for their portion. I want you to see in verse number 15, God asked of them three things. Verse number 15 in chapter number 44. But the priests, the Levites, the sons of Zadok, that kept the charge of my sanctuary when the children of Israel went astray from me, they shall come near to me to minister unto me, and they shall stand before me to offer unto unto me the fat and the blood, saith the Lord God. God. Number one, God expected of them to live a life of dedication. God had called them to to serve him. God had called them to perform specific roles within the tabernacle. And he says, if you're going to live this blessed lifestyle, the lifestyle where I am your portion and I supply your daily needs, you must first of all live a dedicated life. Number two, I want you to see this in verse number 17. Verse number 17 says, And it shall come to pass that when they enter at the gates of the inner court, they shall be clothed with linen garments. No wool shall come upon them whilst they minister in the gates of the inner court and within. They shall have linen bonnets upon their head and shall have linen breeches upon their loins. They shall not gird themselves with anything that causeth sweat. And when they go forth into the utter court, even into the utter court to the people... They shall put off their garments wherein they ministered and, they, and lay them in the holy chambers. They shall put on the other garments and they shall not sanctify the people with their garments. Neither shall they shave their heads nor suffer their locks to grow long. They shall only pull their heads. Neither shall any priest drink wine when they enter into the inner court. Neither shall they take for their wives a widow nor her uh, uh, wives a widow, nor her that is put away, but they shall take maidens of the seed of the house of Israel, or a maiden that had a priest before, and they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and profane, and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. Number one, God asked them to live a life of dedication. Number two, God asked them to live a life of distinction. Christians, the Levites were to be distinctly different. They had restrictions on wardrobe. They had uh, restrictions on appearance. They even had restrictions on what they could partake in. You know, I don't really think God's all changed that too much. How come we live in a, in a culture where now Christians are kind of claiming liberty on everything? It, this is a permissive Christianity we live in today. And they do it under the guise of, well, we're just trying to, you know, be like, you know, Christ would be, be like Paul. For, you know, I'll become all things to all men. No, God's plan has always been that his representatives would be distinct and separated. Why do we buck at giving our children haircuts so that a man looks like a man and a girl looks like a girl? We represent God. 
why would we ever complain that our wardrobe does not resemble that of the world? God's children's wardrobe has never resembled the world. We've always had restrictions. We've always had things that God wanted us to do, not so that we could parade around with our nose so far in the air that if it rains, we drown. No, God wanted us to do it so that we would be distinct and live a life of distinction. So the prescription to receive their portion was, number one, they would live a life of dedication. Number two, they would live a life of distinction. And number three, they would live a life of discernment. Look in verse number 24. And in controversy, they shall stand in judgment. And they shall judge it according to what they prefer. And they shall judge it according to what is convenient. And they shall judge it according to my judgments. And they shall keep my laws and my statutes and all mine assemblies. And they shall hallow my Sabbaths. God wanted them to be able to discern, to discern in areas that were not particularly clear. This may surprise you, but the Bible never mentions cannabis. Did you guys know that? It never mentions marijuana, not a single time that I can find. Do you know that, as far as I can find, there are some very controversial and hot-button issues in modern-day Christianity, that the Bible does not clearly spell out. And it's almost like there's this group of Christians that is saying, well, as long as the Bible doesn't say anything against it, we might as well do it. But what God wanted His children to be was He kind of gave them a mind to think. And if you read this book, you find in it the character of your God. And you know what? I've never really had a question on God's will about any sinful activity in my life. Some people might try to, you know, justify it. Some people might try to use scripture to even defend it, you know, like a little wine for thy belly's sake. <laughs> well, your belly's only getting bigger, not better. <laughs> we, we use all sorts of things to justify our sinful habits, but God said here, that the Levites were to be a discerning people willing to take God's word and apply it to controversial issues and come out on God's side of an argument. I don't know, I don't know why we try to stretch the life that God, that God has already given us to live. It's like we want to sit on the fence between pleasing God and pleasures of this world. I just think that God wants us to live a life of dedication, a life of distinction, and a life of discernment. You know what that Christian looks like? He looks like a Christian that is completely content if God is all that he has. Doesn't need a whole lot of money? He has God. Doesn't need a whole lot of men's applause? He has God. He doesn't need all the fancies that this world provides because he has God as his portion. Amen. 